So as uh, we've already been introduced uh, this morning, the subject is going to be answering the question, what is the gospel? Now, you may be asking, why spend our time discussing something that is so basic to our beliefs? And I've got five reasons that prompted me to speak on this subject today. We need to understand the biblical gospel because, one, Paul warns against false gospels. He says in Galatians 1, 6 through 9, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who would trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Therefore, we can be assured of one thing. It is really important that we understand the true gospel so we avoid spreading a false one. Second reason for studying the gospel this morning is that we need to understand the biblical gospel because it will guard our hearts and minds against cunning deceptions of Satan. It will protect us from being led astray by subtle distortions of the truth. In my studies recently, I've been confronted with distortions of the gospel, such as salvation isn't really about deliverance from the punishment of sin or about going to heaven. Rather, it's about deliverance from threats to survival. Or this distortion, justification is not what makes you a Christian, nor what saves you. Rather, it is the declaration that you have become a Christian. It is a declaration that you are part of the covenant community. These distortions and wrong teachings stressed to me the need to sharpen our understanding of the true gospel message. We need to understand the biblical gospel because, number three, it will help us proclaim an accurate gospel message to those around us. We need to understand a biblical gospel because, number four, the gospel is the central theme of the Bible. Understanding it correctly will help us understand the Bible correctly. Now, you should find in your programs a little pamphlet called What is the Gospel, written by, by Greg Gilbert. This is a wonderful little summary of a small book, but slightly larger than this pamphlet, that is written by the same title. I would highly recommend this book uh, for personal reference, as well as something to give away uh, to somebody who's seeking, to somebody who's interested, uh, to somebody who is perhaps getting confused. We do have lots of knocks at the doors, right, offering uh, alternative gospels, and, and this would be a great resource for, for you or anybody to have that is concerned about that. Now, before I continue, I do have some disclaimers. The first disclaimer is most of what I'm going to say today is fashioned from that little book, and I do recommend it to you. The second disclaimer is, as you see in the pamphlet, the four main building blocks of the gospel, they're the little red headings there, they're identified as God, mankind, Jesus Christ, and our response. The disclaimer is you may not uh, particularly like those four. You may wish to add one to it. You may wish to take one away. Um, 
bear with the, uh, the study this morning. Uh, use your disagreement as a motivation to study and determine if Scripture warrants a change in this outline. The third disclaimer, because of our time this morning is limited, we will not be able to go into as much depth as I would like and perhaps as you would wish. The goal this morning is to give the major building blocks and as much of the glue necessary to hold those blocks together so we have a structure on which to build. I cut out about uh, 75% of my sermon this morning, so <laughs> this gives you an idea. <laughs> Fourth disclaimer, again, because time is limited, I will make statements and assumptions without always providing biblical support. This is not because the Bible does not provide the support, but because time just will not permit us to mine the depths of the scriptures together this morning on all matters. So please be like the Bereans of Acts 17 and search the scriptures to see if what I speak is true. And then one final disclaimer. One of the unsupported statements I already made was that the gospel is contained in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. This does not mean, however, that in every place the gospel is covered, it contains all the building blocks presented this morning. So don't expect to see all these points neatly laid out every time the gospel is addressed in the Bible. There are several reasons for this. One is the progressive nature of Revelation. Another reason is the audience to which and the context in which the speaker or writer is communicating. For example, the Philippian jailer in Acts 16 asks, what must I do to be saved? The prisoner had just been released and he knew his life was on the line. Paul and Silas are confronting him, saying, we're all here, and he's terrified. So he asks what he must do to be saved. Luke does not record Paul and Silas elaborating all points we will talk about today. He simply records the response as, believe in the Lord Jesus. Some have used this passage to say belief is all that is necessary. What they fail to consider is that the jailer had been hearing Paul and Silas sing throughout the evening. And they fail to understand what was possibly shared by Paul and Silas when they, quote, spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, unquote, later that night in the jailer's home and before the jailer and his family became true followers of Jesus and were baptized. So this disclaimer is that we will let the whole Bible determine the main building blocks of the gospel rather than giving sole authority to one or two passages of Scripture. Now that my preliminary comments are made and we have less time for the meat of the passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we do ask for your mercy and your grace upon us this morning, Lord, as we look into this lovely message of forgiveness, this lovely message of, of, of a relationship with you, one that is free from wrath. And Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to uh, keep our minds on track. I pray that you'd help us keep our hearts opened, uh, Lord, as, as we're challenged uh, with what we hear from your word this morning. May it be a wonderful encouragement to us, Lord, to those that know Christ as their Savior, to have these um, truths reinforced. And Father, for the, the seeker out there, I pray, God, that this uh, would um, help to drop the scales from their eyes and that they may be able to look upon uh, 
your son who was pierced for their transgressions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what is the gospel? If you do a word search in the English translation of the Bible, you will only find the term gospel appearing in the New Testament. As you know, the original documents comprising the New Testament were written in Greek. So to understand the meaning of the English word gospel, we start at the meaning of the Greek word. The Greek word translated as gospel in the New Testament, euangelion, means good news. The verb form of this Greek term is euangeliegzo, not pronounced that way, uh, which means to announce the good news. While the word gospel doesn't appear in the Old Testament, the equivalent Hebrew word does. And the Hebrew word is for to bring good news is baser. The Septuagint Greek translation of the Old Testament uses euangelizo to translate this. The example that I will give to you is Isaiah 61.1, where Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set, sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. So, in short, the word gospel, little g, if you will, means good news. Again, little g, little n. But what is the gospel, big G? Now, what makes the news referred to by this word in the Bible the good news, big G, big N? It's important to know that the gospel in the Bible is not just a single fact or statement. It involves good news in the context of bad news, and how to be excluded from the bad news and be included in the good news. That will become clear in a moment. The main building blocks of the gospel answer four basic questions. These questions are, who made us and to whom are we accountable? What is our problem? What is God's solution to our problem? How can I be included in his solution? <clears throat> The gospel message, then, is the answer to these questions. You'll also find these in your pamphlet if you're wondering. The answer to question number one, we are accountable to God. Answer to question number two, our problem is our sin against him. Then, God's solution is salvation through Jesus Christ. And four, we come to be included in that salvation by faith and repentance. So as mentioned above, these four questions and answers can be summarized as God, mankind, Jesus Christ, and our response. So before unpacking each of these headings, let's look at some Bible passages to see if we are on the right track. A popular place to go for people when they are asked the question, what is the gospel, is none other than the 15th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. So let's start there. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, 
that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So here it is very clear that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are central to the gospel that Paul preached. The life, death, burial, and resurrection are not only central to the gospel, they're central to the whole Bible. But does Paul mention the other main points of the gospel here? Let's take a look. So the first heading is God. First, we find that God is implicitly present when Paul says, the gospel by which you are being saved, he is saying mankind must be saved from the consequences of that sin from the implied justice of God. The second heading of mankind. Mankind has a problem, and that problem is sin. For Paul says, Christ died for our sins. Then he offers Jesus in verses 3 and 4. When he says Jesus dies for our sins and is subsequently buried and then raised to life again. And then finally, the response. Paul says, this gospel message was received and believed on by the Corinthians. So we see the final building block of response. Let's look at another passage. Acts chapter 2. Here Peter is addressing the crowd gathered in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. Just 50 days after the Passover and the crucifixion of Jesus, the crowd gathered there because they came to see what the commotion was all about. If you remember, the Holy Spirit had just descended upon the gathered disciples of Jesus, and the noise had caught the attention of the people in the area. We'll pick up midway through Peter's speech in verse 36. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In this first verse, we see that Peter lays out for them three of the four building blocks. God, Jesus, who is identified by Peter as the Christ, meaning the anointed one or the Messiah, and as Lord, meaning master or the sovereign ruler, and mankind's problem. They crucified him. Going on in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and, Peter, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, every one whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So in verse 37, we see they got the message and understood their just condemnation. They asked if there was any good news amidst this bad news. Peter tells them the good news of forgiveness could be theirs if they responded in repentance and show their allegiance to Jesus through baptism. This good news is not for them only, but for everyone who, calls, who God calls to himself. Let's look at one more passage, <clears throat> but this time we will go to the Old Testament. We'll look at Genesis chapters 1 through 4. Now, this is a long passage, so we will not take the time to read it. Instead, I have provided you the references and summaries of those references that show how those four chapters agree with the four main points of the gospel. First, you'll see God. 
We begin with Genesis 1.1, where God is identified as the eternally existing creator of everything. Then in verse 26 and 27 of chapter 1, we see God creating man uniquely in his own image. Because God is creator and by default the owner of everything he creates, he has the right to rule over his creation. Therefore, in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, we see God give man one prohibition. That prohibition is, Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Then moving on to the second building block of man, in chapter 3 we're introduced to the problem that man makes for himself. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, is the account of man sinning. Then in verses 8 through 13, God confronts man because of his sin. Remember the whole finger-pointing game. Then in verses 14 through 19, and also 22 through 24, God's curse falls on man and all creation. So man's problem is, as God said, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Their death starts to reign in their bodies, but spiritually they have passed away. The third building block is the solution. We'll use the heading Jesus here, though his name is not known by that at this point. In chapter 315, God promises that the seed of a woman will bruise the serpent's head. But, I'm sorry, promises that the seed of the woman will be bruised by the serpent, but will crush the serpent's head. And then in verse 21, God provides a symbolic atonement by killing an animal to clothe man. So here we see God promising that a seed of a woman, which is odd, right? Not done, not done that way. So in a way saying there's going to be a virgin birth, right? And that one that is born is going to do uh, some serious damage to the serpent. But in the process, he will also be injured. So the final response then, in chapter 4, verse 4, Abel offers an acceptable animal sacrifice after the pattern that God laid out. Abel's brother Cain does not offer an acceptable sacrifice and is rejected by God. Out of jealousy and spite, Cain kills Abel. Adam and Eve are given another son in verse 25 of chapter 4. Eve praises God for giving a son in place of Abel, which means she may have considered Abel to be the seed, or at least the vehicle through which the seed would come that God promised, and now may view Seth in such a way. Then, in chapter 4, verse 26, people began to call on the name of the Lord, which is perhaps describing public worship. So, in Genesis 1 through 4, we see the four main points of the gospel spelled out in great detail and in agreement with the New Testament appearances of the same four points. So, now as you read through the Bible with the awareness of these four main building blocks of the gospel, namely God, mankind, Jesus Christ, and our response, you should be able to identify them and see how unified the Bible is around the gospel. 
as a simple at-home exercise, I would encourage you to read John 3.16 and see if you can identify the four main points there. So, in the time remaining, let's unpack those four building blocks. The resurrected Jesus visited two disciples walking to Emmaus. They did not recognize Jesus, and they were sad because Jesus had been crucified, and now his body was even missing. Jesus, the unknown visitor, responds to them, Oh, foolish one, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27. Now, that would have been a great conversation to be part of. And unfortunately, we will not be able to look at all the scriptures, though that would be very enjoyable. Let's look at just a few instead. So God, who made us and to whom are we accountable? The gospel needs to start with God. As Greg Gilbert says, God is the good news behind the bad news, behind the good news. In fact, John Piper even wrote a book with the title, God is the Gospel. Hebrews 1.6 tells us, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, it is popular today for people to not acknowledge God. In fact, it is quite popular to deny his existence. That doesn't change the fact that he exists and that they are aware of his existence. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20 makes this plain. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So not only is it critical to start with God, it is also critical to understand that God is the creator. We've already mentioned Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's critical to know that God is the creator, which means he has right over his creation. The second is that he is holy and righteous. Isaiah 6.3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Everything in the universe has a purpose, including human beings. Colossians 1.15-17 He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Then another important fact of God is that he, as the judge of the earth, shall do right. Quoting from Exodus 18.25. And then in I'm sorry, Genesis 18, 25. Then in Exodus 34, 
verses 6 through 7, it says, The Lord passed before him, this is Moses, and claimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So who are we accountable to? God made us, and we are accountable to him. So heart check. Do you recognize God as the righteous and holy creator? Or do you worship him as such? The second building block is man. What is our problem? Because of Adam's sin, we are all counted guilty. Romans chapter 5 explains this to us in three verses we'll look at. The first one is in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Then verse 18a, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. 19a, for as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Now, the second half of these verses are the good news of Christ. That We will um, leave that up for you to, to read those on your own. So because of Adam's sin, we are all counted guilty. Also because of Adam's sin, we have a sin nature. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Then Psalm 58.3, The wicked are estranged from the womb, and they go astray from birth speaking lies. So remember, we're spelling out what is man's problem. The third point is that if we break one law, we are guilty of breaking all laws. James makes this clear in chapter 2, verse 10 of his letter. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Therefore, we understand that God's standard is perfection. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So as a result, there is no one who does not sin. 1 Kings eight forty six. So those who sin, which is all of us, deserve to die, according to Romans 1.32. Also cross-reference, Romans 6.28, where it says the wages of sin is death. Now we remember that God is righteous and will by no means clear the guilty. Therefore, our problem is our sin against God. Now you may be thinking, aren't we supposed to be defining What the gospel means? Isn't the gospel supposed to be good news? These first two points are definitely bad news. That there, I am created by a holy and righteous God and am therefore owned and accountable to him and that I have sinned against him and am under his wrath. That is really bad news. But here is where the really good news comes in. But first, a heart check. 
Do you see yourself as good enough for God? Or do you see your sin as an offense against God and worthy of eternal punishment? Now for the really, really good news. Jesus, what is God's solution to our problem? So the first thing we need to know about Jesus is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the identity of Word is given here. And then in John 1.14 it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is also king. The angel Gabriel, speaking to Mary, foretelling the birth of Jesus, says these words in Luke 1, 32-33. Gabriel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Jesus is king. Jesus is also savior. The same angel Gabriel, speaking to Joseph about the birth of Jesus, as recorded in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then Paul, in his letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 15, says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. So Jesus is king and Jesus is savior. Next, Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21a says, For our sake he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, 1 Peter 2.24. Then Galatians 3.10 and 13. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and to do them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. But Jesus is also our imputed righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21b says, So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I want to quote a, a paragraph from Greg Gilbert's book. He says, here is where the good news of Christianity gets really, really good. You see, King Jesus came not only to inaugurate the kingdom of God, 
but also to bring sinners into it by dying in their place and for their sin, taking their punishment on himself and securing forgiveness for them, making them righteous in God's sight and qualifying them to share in the inheritance of the kingdom. As found on page 64 of his book. So God's solution is salvation through Jesus Christ. Another heart check. Is Jesus' finished work on the cross all you depend on? Or do you still feel you must do something to earn his forgiveness? The final building block <clears throat> is our response. How can I be included in God's solution? Now, we've been studying in, in Mark in connect groups. And so we'll go to the opening chapter of Mark where Jesus says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here Jesus is telling us two responses that are necessary. The first is faith, and the second is repentance. So faith, saving faith, is more than merely believing something to be true. James tells us that the demons believe in God. They believe so much that they tremble, James 1.19. Saving faith is not just assent to an information. Saving faith is a relying belief. It is a trusting belief. It is a receiving belief. We'll look at Abraham as an example recorded in Romans chapter 4, verses 20 through 22. It says, No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So faith and repentance. <clears throat> I recently heard a person describe repentance as simply, quote, quit sinning, start doing good, unquote. That definition will damn anyone who believes it, describes the repentance that God is calling us to. It is precisely our doing that put us under God's wrath. The repentance called for in the Bible does involve a turning, but it is not a turning of action alone. It is a turning away from sin and a turning toward God. True saving repentance involves the intellect, emotion, and the will. The intellect is the idea of changing your mind. There is a Greek term for that. It says that we turn from our sins because we recognize our sins for what it is. It's an ascent. It's a change of mind. The emotion Yet another Greek term for this means to change your concern. We are remorseful for our sins. This is the type of repentance that Judas Iscariot had when he saw Jesus was condemned in Matthew 27, 3. However, alone, this repentance did not save Judas because while he was remorseful, he did not turn from his sin to God. He remained captain of his soul and perished as a result. The third 
aspect of repentance is that of the will. It's a turning back or a turning toward. We change our will from being the Lord of our life to submitting to Jesus and making him Lord of our life. So our response, we come to be included in that salvation by faith and repentance. Heart check. Have you turned to God in faith, remorsefully renounced your sin and surrendered your life to his service? Or are you still the captain of your own soul? Questions to ponder for this week. Based on what you've heard today and your response to the heart check questions, do you need to repent and believe in the gospel? Another question to ponder, based on what you have heard today, do you need to change any beliefs you have regarding the gospel? And the third and final question to ponder this week, based on what you've heard today, are you motivated to share the gospel with others? Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gift of time. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you most of all, for the gift of Christ and the salvation that comes through his name. And God, we thank you that we were able to spend a brief moment this morning looking at these things as, as hurried and as rushed as they may have been. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit is able to bring to remembrance um, what is needed for each listener of this message. Father, I thank you for the, the, the change that Christ brings in our lives and Father, we thank you that you have not demanded from us uh, impossible works. God, you have not set up a standard for us that is unreachable through Christ. God, I thank you that you have brought us to the end of ourselves with our own problem. And yet, Lord, you have asked us simply just to lay our lives down Rely upon Christ. Rely upon the finished work that he has done, Lord, and we may receive that adoption as your sons and daughters. We thank you, God, for that truth and for reminding of us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.